part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Have you ever had a time when a good plan just came together? Maybe it was something simple as uh, your son or daughter's birthday party. And I say as simple as a birthday party because nowadays birthday parties are pretty big deals. And a lot of planning for weeks and months goes into the planning of these birthday parties. We just planned a wedding last year. Our oldest daughter got married last year. And and there's a lot to be planned in in a wedding. We have our youngest daughters getting married this year at the end of this year. And so a lot of plans. And there's a joy that comes when all those plans come together, you know, for weeks, months, maybe even a couple of years, you get all these different things, you put them together, and when that f- plan finally comes together and it, it kind of all, you know, comes to a point of, of, of action, there's a joy that it just worked. Well, I want you to know that that's what Easter is. In, in the most simple form, guys, that's, that's what Easter is. This was not that God reacted to something that happened that he did not plan. This was God's plan from all along before the foundation of the world. He knew that even in Adam and Eve that there would be rebellion, that there would be sin, and that he would have to have a Savior, that he would provide for them a Savior. If there was ever hope that they would have an interaction and a a relationship with him, a holy God. We just sing about holy, holy, holy. And and I don't know that we really even begin to, to understand God's holiness. I don't think that we really kind of get a grip on our own sin, how offensive that is to God. I think we kind of minimize that because we look to this world and we go, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. And we kind of normalize everything. And in normalizing sin, we kind of normalize holiness. But there's going to be a day, guys, that we stand before the face of God and we're going to see what true holiness is. We're going to see the depth of our sin. And on that day, you know the song that I think that is just going to come to our hearts and our minds? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Because on that day when we see the fullness of his holiness and we see the fullness of our sin, we will see that it did take this amazing grace, this amazing love for God to bridge that gap, to take away our sin, to make full payment for our sin so that you and I could spend eternity with a holy God. Well, this morning we're coming together, and and I want you to know that when we look throughout the Bible, this is the day that really everything is kind of pointing toward an historical fact. The Apostle Paul said it even this way. The Apostle Paul said that everything, everything that he preached, rose and fell on the resurrection. Not just Jesus' death. You know, he, he believed that Jesus died, but he said everything rises and falls on this day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you had one without the other, what you have is a man, maybe even a good man, maybe even a holy man who was willing to die for us, but had no power for it to take effect. Do you get that about what today is? I mean, Good Friday, when Christ dies for us, when we celebrate that in the fullness of that, I mean, my goodness, every Christian, every Christian should be overwhelmed with Good Friday. But without Resurrection Sunday, folks, we, we only have part of it. We have the first part of the plan. We have a very good, willing person to do something, but we don't have the completion of what was necessary for you and I to have a relationship with the Holy God. That's why Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He was writing to these people, and they were going, you know, we kind of have some doubts about this whole resurrection thing. We know that Jesus was a good teacher. We know that he did all these things. But this whole resurrection thing, it's hard for us to grasp that. And listen to what Paul said 
about the importance of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he said, For I deliver to you as of first importance. The Greek word there means the primary thing. What I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, it's, the Scriptures are already foretold that this was going to happen. Look what he says in verse 4. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in what? In accordance with the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul says, look, I, I'm, I'm speaking from a perspective that all of this was a plan. None of this was just something that happened that now we're trying to react to. Now, you and I do that all the time. We make plans. Something happens, like it rains, when you're going to have an Easter egg hunt. And so you have to react to it. And you go, okay, here's what we're going to do instead. I want you to know that the resurrection, that Jesus' death and his resurrection was not plan B, guys. That from the very beginning, God said, okay, here's how I'm going to save those who trust in me. These are, this is how I'm going to save and bring into my kingdom those that place their trust in what my son has done. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter, he kind of hits the pinnacle point when he says this. And if Christ has not been raised, if this resurrection hasn't happened, then our preaching is in vain. You're wasting your time. Even the 30 minutes that I'm going to be in front, I'm wasting my time. You're wasting your time. And what? And your faith is in vain. That sounds pretty all-encompassing, doesn't it? But not just, I don't have anything to preach without the resurrection. He said, your faith, your faith, everything about your spirituality, everything from A to Z. He said, it's pointless without this resurrection. Guys, this is a big day. If you're a pro athlete, if you're a football player, uh, this is Super Sunday. This is the Super Bowl. This is what you played for, trained for. This is what you live for. That you may walk off the field at the end of the game and say, yes, we are world champions. For the Christian, this is our day of celebration. But I want you to know this. Every day, as a Christian, because of this resurrection, because he lives, every day can be this day of celebration. That we can live in the reality of this. That's the emphasis that Paul put on it. That everything, your eternity, rises and falls on the resurrection. Not just Christ on the cross, but the resurrection. Your forgiveness rises and falls on the resurrection. This is especially meaning to me, meaningful to me this first Easter without my dad. If you have any hopes of seeing a loved one who has put their faith and trust in Christ, and you say, one day when I cross that river, I'm going to see my family, I'm going to see my mom or my dad, my grandmother or my grandfather. Everything, every hope that you have in that is based on this day. Really, that's what Paul was writing about. In 1 Corinthians 15, he was going, you know, this resurrection, you're wondering about your own resurrection? Let me tell you about the important resurrection first, and then you will know that because he lives, your loved one who put their faith and trust in him also lives. Everything that we have this day all comes. And and so we have songs that just kind of, you know, gather around that and, and kind of put that as the emphasis. And we sing that last one. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Now, I love that song. So, so nobody throws something at me or, you know, don't get me after the service and say, how dare you pick on a Gaither song. You know, that's right up there in holiness. So, you know, a Gaither song, you know. 
Can we really say, can we authentically say, can we really truthfully say this morning that because he lives, because of this resurrection, the reality of what Christ has done by dying for us and being risen again on the third day, can we say that we really, that all fear is gone? I know what he means, and I hope by the end of the sermon that you would be in agreement that, that we are not a slave to fear. Guys, I don't know about you, but I face fear every day. Every day. I mean, the reality is none of us know what tomorrow holds. And, and so we have this thing, we have, you know, attacks uh, around the world. And if you're a mom or a dad, you're going, okay, what kind of world is my kids growing up in? You know, what is it going to be like five years from now, ten years from now? We see this economy and we're going, okay, it's kind of going back on steady now, but, but what about five years from now? What, what about, I say, approach retirement and those kind of things. We begin to look and we begin to say, man, nothing is for sure in this world. And what does the uncertainty of tomorrow usually bring in most people's lives? Fear. There's a lot of dads out there today going, how am I going to provide for my family? I know I have a heart too. I've got a strong back. I'm willing to do anything. How am I going to make provision for my son or my daughter? How am I going to pay for their college? How am I going to do this or that? Folks, there can be a fearful part of that. Some of us are dealing with different health issues and, and maybe you haven't got a conclusive answer from the doctor yet and you're going, okay, man, this thing, what I, I went on, the, I Googled it and my goodness, now I'm more scared than ever because it says I've got this, you know, long word disease. Don't ever Google a medical thing, guys. <laughs> you're talking about creating fear in your life, man. You, all of a sudden, you're going to swear that you have something that only somebody in the deepest dark of this part of Africa or Australia can get. So that's the world that we live in. So can we really say that because he lives, all fear is gone? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to, to John chapter 20. And, and we want to look at a, at a story this morning and see how the disciples reacted to the death of Christ. It's before they really noticed or really have full realization of the resurrection. And in John chapter 20, what we get is we put a face on this challenge of the fear that comes to the unknown. Now, when did fear come into the world? Anybody know when fear came into the world? In the garden. Very good. Almost every sermon you notice that we go back to Genesis chapter 2 or chapter 3. If you really know the Bible, if you want to really get a handle on the Bible, it's one book, guys. It's one story. Christ is the star. He's the champion. And everything points to him. It's about him or how to live now in the fullness of him. And so we continually go back to Genesis where we see that this dramatic thing happened that when Adam and Eve rebelled, the fall, sin, something came into this world that had never been in this world before. Look what it says. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. But the Lord God called to the man, that's Adam, and said to him, where are you? And folks, I don't think that God was going, okay, first game of hide and go seek. I don't think that God was going, I really am clueless to where you are, Adam. He calls attention to Adam because Adam was hiding. Why was he hiding? Look at verse 10. And he said that as Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. First time that we see fear in the Bible. First time we see fear in their hearts. Why? Because they rebelled against God. And that rebellion and that sin brought fear into their lives. Well, folks, every one of us, we've been born with that nature of sin. Every one of us have been born with the nature. And so fear is a part of, of our first breath. 
In fact, scientists say that, that naturally speaking, we only have two fears, that a baby only has two fears. Falling and loud noises. And that every other fear that you and I have, like I have a fear of shots. Oh, you do a little hypodermic needle like they do in the commercial or in a, you know, on TV and they kind of do that just to get the air out. I'm on the ground. Okay, it's just, it's not that they hurt. It's not, in my mind, I've just psyched myself up and I get petrified at just the thought of it. And so we have two natural fears, the fear of falling and this fear of loud noise. Everything else, whether you have the fear of heights, the fear of personal speaking, whatever it might be, is something you kind of learned It's real or something that you've imagined. And really most of our fears, if we're honest, are things that are imagined. I mean, I've had a shot before and I didn't die. I thought I was. I was laying on the floor. They were waving, you know, uh, arrow on me so that I wouldn't pass out, but it was an imagined thing. But when we begin to see this, we begin to see that fears can have a mastery over us and that in many ways we can become a slave to our fears. It can happen emotionally, it can happen mentally, it can happen spiritually, it can happen relationally. And this morning we open up to John chapter 20 because we begin to see the disciples. And this is the story of the disciples. After Christ has been arrested, he's been scourged and beaten. He's had false trials. They've hung him on a tree. They've taken him off of that cross. They've buried him in a tomb. It's been three days. He has risen from the dead. And now in chapter 20, they are just first discovering that in a personal way. They are just now beginning to, to understand that the tomb is empty. But, but really, they're kind of clueless of why, even though Jesus said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. Mary Magdalene, she's the first one to come. She sees it, and, and she's crying. The first part of chapter 20 of John 20, she's crying. Where have they taken my Lord? She, she's kind of clueless until Jesus himself speaks to her and says, hey, no, it's me. I've risen from the dead, just like I said. And then we get to the disciples. John and Peter, they run, they see an empty tomb, and they kind of scratch their head a little bit. They, they don't always put two and two together. They don't have full understanding of it yet. And so they go back and they do what a lot of people do when they're scared. They hide. And that's what we find, John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening, evening of that day, what day? The day that Christ rose from the dead, the day that this tomb is now empty. On that day, that evening, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, Judas is gone. He's hung himself because of his betrayal of, of Christ. But the other ones gather together, and they, they go in perhaps the upper room. They get together, and they lock the door. Hey, they took Christ out. Are we next? They hung him on the cross. Are we the next ones to be hung on a cross? I mean, in every human aspect, this seems like a natural fear. That if people are going to be out against you, aren't you going to lock the door? And so here they are, hiding in fear. And what we begin to see here, it's not so much a judgment, but an observation. Because look what happens at the last part of verse 19. On that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the Doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, it's still a mystery to theologians how he got in through a locked door. 
Some will say that, it, you know, that his risen state was where he could just pass through walls. But we know that he had a real body. He, he ate fish a little bit later on. And so theologians still kind of scratch their head. All I know is that he was on the outside, then he was on the inside. The door was still locked, and it did not prevent him to come in. And he comes in, not so much a judgment about them being in fear, but to bring peace. Because the first thing that he says is, that, guys, why did you lock the door? What's the first thing that he says to them? Man, you're fearful? Uh, peace. Peace to you. It's the same thing that was said when he came as a little baby. Remember Mary and Joseph? They were scared. They were afraid. And what did the angels say? Fear not. The whole story of Christ is, is how to counteract this, this fear that comes of the unknown. And God says, look, you may not know, but I know. So peace to you. And here we are 2,000 years later. We have no more a clue of what's going to happen tomorrow, folks. We live in this mystery. It could be a fear that really overtakes us. And you know what, Christ, I really believe what he would say to us this morning if he was here? Peace be to you. Man, you're stressing over this? And is it heavy? Yes. But I'll carry that load. Jesus appears and he says, peace be with you. He's going to say it three different times. Not so much to scold them, but to comfort them. Because look what happens in verse 20. When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That They see that this is the risen Christ. He shows them not a pointed finger because he's accusing them. What he does is he says, okay, look, peace be with you. And in the midst of that, he says, well, look at my hands. Look at my side. And where that sword had been, you know, three days before, and where those nails had been, they saw that and said they were glad. Why? Because it was a testimony. Their eyes began to to see. Their mind began to comprehend. This is the risen Christ. He said he was going to rise again. He really did. And all of a sudden we begin to see that this foundational thing that Paul talked about, of the resurrection, everything rises and falls in it. We begin to see that. One of the biggest questions in the disciples' mind when Christ died on the cross and when he was buried, what do we do now? What what, what do we do now? What, What if you had quit your job that which was your vocation, where you, you supplied for your family, you provided for your family, you quit your job, you did everything, and for three years you went around with this itinerant carper preacher guy, and then all of a sudden he's gone. They hung him, hung him on the cross, and, and you gave up the fishing business, remember? It said they dropped their nets. Matthew, he was a CPA, kind of an accountant, kind of a, a finance guy. He, he sells off his firm, and he follows Christ with reckless abandon. So they did this, 12 guys with reckless abandon follow Christ. And what's the natural question for any guy in here? When you follow somebody for three years, and then all of a sudden they're gone. What do I do now? How do I provide for my wife, my sons, and my daughter? What do I do now? Do I try to go get my fishing business started again? That's what Peter was actually thinking. You, you read a Ford in chapter 21, and he's still contemplating this whole thing, like, maybe I just go back to fishing. See, there's a fear in the unknown. And the only difference between everybody in here is not that we don't experience fear, just some are a little bit better at hiding it. 
some t- tough guys and tough gals. I ain't scared of nothing. And it's just not true. It really isn't. You may be the most macho guy here. You must, may be the, the most uh, you know, overcoming type of, of, of lady or woman in here. But I promise you, you've got fears. Everybody does. The unknown factor of life, just the, the, the plain thing that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, brings a certain amount of uncertainty. And our normal reaction to uncertainty is fear. And that's where we find these disciples. They had witnessed Christ's healing, lame men walking again, blind men seen. They'd seen the dead risen again. They knew all of that. They knew the power of Christ, and yet they still find themselves locked behind a door in fear. And even when he says, peace be with you, they're still wondering, okay, what do we do now? Well, he tells us in verse 21. Look what happens next. And Jesus said to them again, same words, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Here's the deal. They're wondering what's next. What what I do next week? Jesus says the same thing that you thought you were going to be doing before I died. He said the Father has a plan. And the Father's plan was to send me. And and now in in this victory that I'm going to go and I've died for you. I've risen again. I'm going to ascend to heaven so I can be praying for you. But I want you to know the plan is still the same. It never changed. We have not resorted to plan B yet. This is still the same plan. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. In all the mysteries of life, in all the unknowns, aren't you glad that there's a God who has it already figured out, guys? And is that why we can sing? Because he lives, all fear is gone. Not that we won't battle with fear, but that we know that he holds the future. I mean, that was part of that song. It's part of the testimony of this. And so we begin to see this. They begin to look at verse 24 and 25. One of the disciples isn't there, Thomas. What's another name for Thomas that we've kind of affectionately or accusatorily have given Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Have you ever wondered why we call him Doubting Thomas? Because of this verse right here. Because of this little section in John chapter 20. Look what it says, verse 24 and 25. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, one of the twelve disciples, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and, and place it my hand into his side, I will never believe. He said, you say that you saw him and you believe? Well, I haven't seen him, so I still don't believe. And until I see him with my own eyes and actually get to touch his body, he said, I'm not going to believe. Well, what happens then? Look at verse 26. We see that eight days later, they're, they're reconvening. They're all getting back together. In verse 26, it says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. This time he's there. Although the doors were locked. See, the same disciples that were saying, come on, Thomas, you just got to believe, were still locking doors. I've always thought that was funny. Here they're they're kind of pointing the finger at Thomas, (laughs) saying, oh, you of little faith. Uh, Peter, did you lock that door? (laughs) They're behind this locked door. Jesus came and stood among them. And what does he say? Peace be with you. Third time that he says it in this passage. 
the beautiful thing here, please get this, please get this, is that when Jesus comes on the scene, he easily could have been in a scolding uh, frame of mind. Well, Thomas, you don't believe? After all that you've seen, you don't believe? But that's not what we get whatsoever. He comes in and he says, peace be with you, to the disciples, including Thomas. And what we see in verse 27 is not so much this insult, not so much an interrogation, but we see an invitation. Please see what happens here. Then he, that is Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it at my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. But believe. Folks, God has every right in his holiness to sit there and guys, I, I gave you all a chance. I gave you chance after chance after chance. But instead of this accusation, instead of an interrogation of, Thomas, why didn't you believe now after you've seen all the things that you've done? He gives an invitation. Well, Thomas, you don't believe? Thomas, come, touch my hand where the nail was. That's why I said, go ahead if you want to. Now, we're never told if he actually goes to do that. I mean, some assume that he did. I'm on the basis, I don't know that he really did. I think he got the invitation, and that ignited his faith, because look what happens in the next verse, verse 28. And Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God, and you are the Christ. What does this have to do with you and I? Folks, Christ has not guaranteed you that you're not going to battle with fear. You will walk out of today and, and, and you'll still have to battle with, well, what am I going to do to provide for my family next week? What if this economy goes south again? What, what if this illness, this pain that I feel develops into something that they really can't cure? Well, what if this happens? What if, what if my wife or my husband just doesn't love me anymore and they decide to, to go off with somebody else. All the uncertainties of life, all these different things that are kind of there that can create fear in our hearts and our lives, Christ gives us an answer to. Not that we're not going to face those. And not that things in life sometimes don't go south. Folks, I've counseled people for 33 years and I've dealt with things that made me cry on the other side of the desk because I saw the brokenness of their lives. And I promise you, they did not train you in seminary to give out pat answers when somebody says, man, my, my wife just left me, my husband just left me, my, my daughter just died, my parents just, you know. There is no pat answer, and God is not a pat, pat answer guy. He doesn't say, oh, get over it. What does he say in the midst of that mystery, of that unknown, of that hurt? The same thing that Jesus said here. Peace be with you. You don't got it figured out. Those around you don't have it figured out. But I want you to know, brother, I want you to know, sister, I got it figured out. And you don't have to be a slave to that fear. Battle with it? Yes. Slave to it? Have it master you? No. Because look what he says to us. He, he actually addresses us in verse 29. So I, I don't see my name. You put your name in there, Okay. Put your name in verse 29. Because as he turns to Thomas and he says, and he invites him, you you want to touch my hand? You want to touch my side? He invites him and and Thomas gives this proclamation. He says, the Lord, you're my Lord and you're my God. And then in verse 29, he speaks to us. That is, every person who's going to live after Thomas, here's what he says. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. He's not saying that so that we can pat ourselves on the back. What he's saying is, look, I'm going to ignite faith in people 2,000 years from now. They're going to be in the uncertainties of life. They're going to be worried and have fear of a lot of things, just like everybody there. They're going to be behind the locked doors of their mind or their heart. And he said, I'm going to say the same thing. Peace be with you. Why peace? Because I've got it figured out. That's part of the hope of the resurrection. We can get all theological. I'll go on for another hour if you want me to on the theological basis and we can go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and really survey what Paul said and it would be worth it. Maybe not to you, but it would be to me. I mean, I just love that kind of stuff. But let's get real practical with this whole Easter thing. Let's get down to, to what does it mean to you and I when we walk out of here today? One thing that it means is that we don't have to be a slave to fear anymore, guys. Do you know any more this morning when you walk out than when you walked in as far as your life? No. We don't get out crystal balls. We don't, we don't, we don't you know, have a seance. We don't do things that are mystical and say, okay, here's what's going to happen three weeks from now, three months from now. Folks, we don't have a clue. We just know the one who holds all things in his hand. And we know the power of those words. Peace be unto you. I mean, that's about as personal as it gets. See, we're going to battle with two things. Let's draw this to a conclusion this morning. Every one of us in here are going to battle with two things. The fear of the known and the fear of the unknown. I mean, there's some known things out there that are right around the corner of your lives, and you're going, man, I am scared to death about that. But we're also going to battle with the fear of the unknown. And Christ kind of covers that. He says, look, I just want you to know that while I may not give you a roadmap that shows you every twist and turn and everything that's going to happen, he said, I just want you to know that I do. Number one, my Father has sovereignty over it all, and, and I have purpose in everything that happens, everything I can use for purpose for the kingdom. Let me close with this thought. Romans chapter 8. Paul writing to the Romans, uh, pretty deeply theological uh, discussion was going on. He was talking about salvation, about how we could approach the throne room of God one day. We can stand before judgment of God one day and, and not go, okay, I don't know if I'm going north or south here. I don't know if I'm getting in or if I'm getting, you know, being kept out. That the unknown part can be vanquished from our mind, that we can know exactly what's going to happen because of the finished work of Christ. And here's how Paul said this. Hang on to these words, guys. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That doesn't mean that everybody in here are the children of God. Not trying to be offensive, not trying to hurt feelings, not trying to judge. But he's talking about those people who have put their faith and trust in the work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. He said if you put your faith and trust in that, not if you're the best moral person, not if you've gone to church, not if you got wet one day in the baptism pool. He said if you put your faith and trust of your relationship with the Holy God, if you've put that into the work of Christ instead of your own ability, then he said, here's the confidence that you can have. Number one, that you are a son or daughter of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So before you're a Christian, before you have somebody to put your faith and trust in, 
man, you're all over the place. I was all over the place. I was trusting my good works. Man, I better do this. I better say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I better be in church. And I was all over the place trying to figure out how to be approving to a holy God when I know that I wasn't so holy. And so I was all over the place. And what Jesus is, uh, Paul is telling us that, that we have this security in Christ that we don't have to fall back and be a slave to fear again. He's ta- talking mainly theological in our salvation. But folks, it certainly has its practical application. But because we serve a holy God, a sovereign God, a God who is almighty, you truly can say, it is well with my soul. I I don't have to be a slave to this anymore. Will I battle with it? Yeah, there's going to be a tug of war. Until I take my last breath, there's going to be a tug of war with me in fear. I mean, we we just closed on a house here the other day. and, And instead of joy, one of my thoughts was, what if I can't pay for it? You know, have you ever had that? What, what have I done? Should have got the tiny house. Yeah, right? I should have got the tiny house. Man. I mean, isn't that just life, guys? I mean, if we're just being real, isn't that life that all of us face fear? We're all going to battle with it, but you don't have to be a slave to it. It's not a promise that he colors the whole world with, but it is certainly a promise to every child of God, every son and daughter of the living God, that you can put your faith and trust that your God has provided for your sin, pardon, and he's going to provide for your life. Think about it. Be be logical for just a second. Which one was harder, to pay for your sin or to provide for your income next week? To a holy God. Which one cost him more? That you can pay rent next week? Or to pay the payment of your sin? And if he was willing to pay the payment of your sin, if he was willing to put all of your sin onto his son, doesn't he got the mortgage covered, guys? I'm not trying to be simplistic. I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, you know out there and, you know, just saying that everything's just going to work out fine. No, there's going to be challenges. I'm a realist. But that's why I'm glad that I have a real God who said that he was going to die for the sins of the world and on the third day rise again. Why? So that I could have that victory imparted to me and that I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. And I don't have to be a slave to fear anymore. But that I have found my confidence. And it is not in my ability, but in what Christ has done. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, this very day, we come before you. And Father, uh, we thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Father, we thank you for... uh, the time that we can spend with family. I thank you for these that came out today. And Father, I pray that that we would keep it simple instead of complex. That Father, even though we could get deeply theological and we could talk about all kinds of depths of what it means that, that there was a resurrected Christ, that would be good. But Father, as we go from this place today, I pray that we just grasp this awesome promise that you have given us. That as Thomas was invited to, to, to touch you and, and experience Christ, that you said that we would be blessed, that we didn't have that opportunity, but that we could just put our faith in what we know to be true and has been recorded in your word. So, Father, I pray that we would have that step of faith. Father, for the dads that are out here, and they really are wrestling with some fears of provision for their family, 
Father, will you give them rest in you? For moms that are really struggling about what they're doing next week, next month, what's, what's the world is going to be like for their children? For grandparents who are worried about you know, the legacy that they leave behind to their children and grandchildren. Father, for all these things that we take upon our shoulders and these fears that come in and we wrestle with, Father, will you remind us this resurrection day that we are no longer slaves to fear because of the finished work of Christ. Father, we thank you for this invitation. You could scold us, you could instruct us, you could insult us as sinners, and yet, Father, you did just the opposite. You invited us to come into your presence by way of Christ. And so, Father, we pray today as this altar is open just for us to respond to you. Father, for us just to be able to pray and just say say thank you and and live out, Father, this life of gratitude, that to claim that fear that really has mastery over us, that we can come even this day, whether we are praying in our seat or we come to this altar, that we can say, Father, thank you that we do not have to be a slave to this fear any longer because of the victory of Christ. Lead us now, Father, as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.